everyone, my name is Belinda Granger and I'm the professional liaison for Challenge Family. I'm also known throughout the triathlon world as being a bit of a mother hen to the pro athletes. Of course, given the current circumstances, I've been thinking about the athletes a lot lately. So we came up with the idea of Coffee Calls with Belinda, which basically gives me and you an opportunity to check in with them all and see how they're all going. So welcome to the official Challenge Family podcast. I think it's time for a coffee. And welcome back to Coffee Calls with Belinda. Uh, My name is Belinda Granger and I have a very special and very interesting guest today. Uh, I have been wanting to talk to this young man for a long time now, but he's a very difficult man to catch up with because he is always away doing cool and crazy things with other athletes. Uh, Welcome to um, the call, Ascot. You can drop. Hi, Belinda. Nice to meet you. It's lovely. Now, I, I know we actually have met before many, yep. many years ago in Kona um, when we've been on uh, power bar panels before, but that almost seems like a lifetime ago for me. Um, but yes, you have been in the sport of tri- or involved in the sport of triathlon for a long, long time now. That's for sure. Yeah, that's, that's correct. And uh, definitely have a passion for the sport. Um, obviously, triathlon is not the only sport that you're involved with. Um, you are an, an absolute nutrition, nutritional specialist, because I can't get my words out, uh, in many sports. And you work, you work with many different elite athletes around the world. Yes, it's, um, I, I started off very differently. I started off as an athlete, got interested, then studied sort of sports science or exercise physiology then became more and more interested in nutrition, um, but spent a lot of time sort of in academia at, at universities doing research and, uh, and, and teaching, uh, but also always tried to make the link to the real world and, uh, and see how we could use the research and all that knowledge to help uh, athletes. So over time, I've uh, drifted more and more towards helping helping athletes or helping teams and organization uh, improving their performance mostly through nutrition so and in that uh, in that role i've worked with uh, many many athletes in many different sports and um, it's it's really interesting work as well because uh, the the whole cultures around eating and nutrition in different sports are very very different so it's uh it's been a great journey. Oh, I can only imagine. And speaking of sports, so you were an avid, obviously you've been an avid sports person your whole life. You you grew up firstly playing football or soccer. Is that correct? Before you then got into cycling and then got obviously hooked into triathlon, duathlon. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So in like I grew up in Holland and like every kid of in course. Holland gr- grows up with... <laughs> Some, uh, to be a cyclist. With, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, started cycling uh, and running really, uh, really early. Um, I did a triathlon really early as well. One of the first triathlons in uh, in Europe. So this wow. is like a very long time ago. <laughs> um, and that was um, like a quarter distance at the time. So not uh, not quite Olympic, but uh, better for me because the swim was a bit shorter. Good, good. That's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and, and then... And then- yeah, and then I didn't do triathlon for many uh, for many years, and then I did um, uh, an Ironman by accident. So. No way! And what what one was that? 
Um, it was a, a race called uh, Umbran Man in uh, oh. France. So very hard race in the uh, in the Alps, made made for cyclists. So I cannot believe that that was your very first time in in long distance or you know full distance racing because I know I know Umbran Man quite well. My husband has done it. And obviously, it's been all over social media lately because it was supposed to be going ahead um, yeah. this year, but unfortunately, yeah, they've had to cancel it, which is really, really disappointing and I know devastating for the um, longtime owner. Um, yeah. He's an amazing man himself. But that that's actually even longer than the traditional Ironman distance because I know you get back to transition at about 180 and then you've got another uh, 10k 10k to do which is a 5k climb 5k up and 5k down is that right exactly exactly oh. <laughs> yeah oh, no yeah. it's a it's a tough tough race but absolutely beautiful uh, yeah. race and the reason the reason that I did that one was uh, and the reason it was by accident was that I was there with a friend who is a good triathlete and uh, he he asked me to come to France to train with him and uh, as a cyclist so I was a cyclist I didn't do any running or swimming right and, uh, so we uh, we trained for a few weeks in preparation for this event for him um, and I did a tiny little bit of running with him as well and a, and a tiny little bit of uh, swimming and then he got injured in the week before the race uh, so he he couldn't do the race and he said uh, why don't you do it and uh, just just <laughs> Just take take my number, which was oh my gosh, that's crazy. What was a num number on the first line? So it was a <laughs> single oh. dig a single digit number, <laughs> and oh. um, so I pinned on that number, and uh, that's how I did my first race. Yeah. That's madness. I tell you what, ignorance is bliss sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> when you don't know what you're getting, <laughs> when you don't know what you're getting yourself in for. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And obviously, since then. Um, You've done, you've raced Kona, so the Ironman World Championship six times. Yep. And I did see that you've also run three of the uh, marathon majors, so Boston, Berlin and New York. So you've, you've done quite a, quite a lot of, of the cool events, uh, I like to call the cool events around the world, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I've, uh, yeah, I just had an opportunity to do a lot of, a lot of great races around, uh, around the world and get that experience and it's great and uh, I don't compete at the at the at the very highest uh, level, but um, for me, it's it's about like getting everything right on on the day, making sure yep. that you get your nutrition right, you don't make any major uh, mistakes, and, uh, yeah. and that's that's difficult enough. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's still professional athletes that you know obviously do it for a living that are still trying to get that part right. So it's it's something I think you're forever working on. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Aska, you obviously grew up in the Netherlands. You are Dutch, but you moved to the when did you I know you moved to the UK and that's where you are based now in, in the UK. Um, but what age were you when you actually moved across and, and did you move across for, for study? Is that the reason originally? No, I um, I finished my studies in Holland, did my PhD in Holland. Right. Then I moved over to the US for a little while, I lived in Texas for a while. And then I took a position at the University of Birmingham. Um, ah, okay. And I, and I think I was around 30 years old when I moved here. Wow. And uh, just started a position at the university and built up um, a lab uh, in a sports science department, a human performance lab. 
um, yeah, and then gradually grew in that role. And we had a really successful research team and uh, that, that got bigger and bigger. And um, yeah, so something that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of what proud we of. achieved, achieved with, that, uh, with that team, yeah. And, and are you still based there now or you've moved on since then? Or? So I've moved on from the university. Yep. So um, that's, uh, that was in 2011 and I worked in industry for a little while, uh, just doing something like quite, quite different. Um, at, at the university, it's, it's, it's a great place to do research and a great place for, uh, for teaching. But I was trying to make sure that the research also landed with the athletes. And yeah, uh, okay. I, I found... I found being in academia actually a really difficult place to uh, to do that. So I tried something different. I, I worked in industry for a while with a large sports nutrition uh, company with with, uh, with Gatorade. I was head of the the Gatorade Sports Science Institute for uh, for a while. Uh, because in that in that role, you have the opportunity to reach a lot more people, and if you change the the product, then you immediately uh, influence. Uh, yep. things um, so I did that for a while and then decided in 2014 uh, to really start for myself as a as a consultant and now I just work with uh, individual athletes but mostly with teams or organizations to help with sports science and sports nutrition in particular okay so I obviously when I first very first met you you were, you were heavily involved consulting with power bar and of course, they mm-hmm. were one of my longest standing sponsors. Um, and I think that's how you you originally got the connection with Zibby uh, from Challenge Family as well. Yeah. So how mm-hmm. long were you were you working together with Powerbar? Um, oh, for many, uh, for many years. What, what happened was that we developed in um, at the University of Birmingham, we we developed a formula. Uh, which was a combination of different carbohydrates that was faster absorbed, that provided more energy uh, during uh, prolonged activity. Um, we found that uh, you can actually get up to 75% more carbohydrate with this particular me- uh, mixture of uh, carbohydrates into yeah. into the body. But none of the sort of sports nutrition brands seem to um, seem to take notice of this uh, this research. One of my yeah. frustrations, you do the research and then no one actually yeah. uh, uses it. And Powerbar yeah. was sort of the first to step in and uh, made all of their products uh, with that sort of blend or ratio of, uh, of, of carbohydrates. Um, and that, this, is, um, this is where I got involved more with... Uh, um, uh, with, with power bar so the research came first and then power bar incorporated it and um yeah they've they've really tried to improve their their products using using that technology and using science in general so um oh, and, that's fascinating yeah and then like one of the uh, it wasn't just about the products we um we did a lot of, most of what we what i did with uh, zb at the time was uh, organize conferences to educate people more in the sports nutrition uh, area yeah uh, and and those were the, those were series of very successful uh, conferences 
Yeah, that's it's interesting you say that because I, 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 when I knew that I was going to be talking to you, I thought back to when I very first started racing as a professional athlete, which was uh, right at the end of the very late 90s, early 2000s. And there really wasn't that much known about sports nutrition, specific sports nutrition. Um, and over the years, I mean, I was an athlete for quite a long time, just to see how far it has, has come from when I first remember doing my very first full distance event in, I think, 1999, where I think I, I still mm-hmm. think I, I remember taking Vegemite sandwiches on the bike, um, <laughs> to what, where we are today and, and far out, it has come a long way. And I even think about my mindset when it comes to nutrition back then was I didn't even think of it as being a, a major piece of the puzzle. Um, whereas now, being a lot older and wiser, um, it is one of the main pieces of the puzzle. And I think a lot of athletes now, and not just professional athletes, but age group athletes alike, um, spend a lot more time and effort uh, thinking about their nutrition plan, particularly during a race, than what they did back in my day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, this is actually a trend that will continue because mm. I think people will more and more start to realize how important nutrition really is. Uh, like every, everyone understands that training is important. Yes, and you don't yes. you don't need to convince anyone that that no. is important. Um, but actually what training is just making the body tired and then you get better in the recovery phase, of course, mm-hmm. where nutrition is the key factor really that determines how you rebuild and what you rebuild and how fast you rebuild and that's uh so so it's absolutely key in training and of course also in uh, in racing which has been like over the last few years mostly the focus right people start to start to think about nutrition like a few days before the race yes yes (laughs) it's not really good it's not really a going to cut the mustard though is it like you don't if you're only thinking about your nutrition plan a few days out um what's your ideal i mean it, it, nutrition plan should be something that you're working on 24 7 for the entire year yeah yeah, yeah. So it's uh, i i always compare it to sort of building a castle i say so you um, imagine you're just building a castle maybe not from the ground up but uh, you really have to. It's going to take a lot of time before you build that uh, build that thing. It's a it's a big project. Uh, so every day you have to sort of lay the bricks, and you have to lay the bricks uh, carefully. And if you have some days where maybe the bricks aren't perfect, um, it's not a problem, of course, for the for no. the castle. But if um, if you have many days where you use bad bad bricks uh, to build your castle then that's going to have an effect on the overall quality of the of of the castle so um it is it is important it is about consistency and doing Mm. things uh uh, consistently uh right just with with training no one questions this right everyone everyone knows that you need you need to train you need to train regularly uh you need to train well not just like being out there and doing something you need to train well it, quality is important cool. um and with nutrition it's really not uh, not that different it is about the consistency keeping doing things right day after day after day and um 
occasionally, uh, of course, it's uh, it's okay to let some steam off. And uh, yeah, of course, of uh, course, uh, that that's absolutely no uh, no problem. But uh, the more days of the year you've done things right, the better the end product will be. Yeah, and then I think you know, obviously as well, if you can get into a good routine, then you don't start with these bad habits. Like I was telling you before, uh, since we've you know we were in lockdown, and then obviously. People, I was looking for excuses to, to open a, a bottle of wine every night and, and it got to a stage where that became a bad habit. And I think if you don't practice good habits routinely, um, bad habits creep in before you know it. And then all of a sudden you, you, you wake up and you think, oh, all, you know, I'm having, a, I'm having a glass of wine every night. This is not right. Um, so it is very mm. difficult to break a bad habit once it becomes normality. Yeah, no, this is absolutely, absolutely key, I think. And this is also why I think education from early age is so important, important because yeah. it's it's really difficult for, for anyone to change habits in general. Yeah. Uh, and nutrition habits seem to be particularly uh, strong and difficult to change. Um, so if you have the right habits from day one, then, gosh, you make your life so much easier. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because obviously uh, where I'm based here in Noosa, Queensland, we have so many pro athletes. I'm surrounded by professional triathletes all the time. And because I get to sit back and observe now, it's very, very interesting to see and, and, and I don't criticize, I just like to observe the eating habits of, of these professional athletes and they differ so significantly, um, which I find fascinating because you would think, okay, they're, they're all professional athletes, they're all very, very good at their craft, but each and every one of them is so completely different in their eating habits, almost to the extent where it, it, it blows me away because it's not like, um, okay, they're, they're sort of the same, but this person's a little gluten intolerant, so they can't eat a certain thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we were talking before we started tonight about, I can't believe you've got these, uh, some athletes on these the low carb, high fat diet or high protein carnivore diet. Then you've got your plant-based athletes now, um, your athletes that refuse to eat any sort of gluten, even though they may not have a gluten intolerance per se, um, and then my favourite, uh, which I was just I just learned about about a month ago, the flexitarians, which is uh, what I've been told is semi-vegetarian, but basically a little bit of everything. Um, what's your take on that? Why are athletes, and I, I'm going to say professional athletes because that's what I, who, the people I've been looking at right now. I'm sure it it it, it is um, all athletes, all like age group athletes alike. Why are they going for these? <laughs> I don't like to word, use the word extreme, but they are. They're these extreme diets. Growing up for me, it was everything in moderation. That was the diet that I lived by mm -hmm. um, and I still do to this day. But the athletes don't seem to live by that motto anymore. They, they like to go for these extreme diets where it's either one way or the other. Yeah, it's. I, I, I don't know exactly why we sort of, we, we tend to make things so so extreme. But Difficult, I think yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's partly if if you are changing your uh your habits, if you are changing your diet, it's sometimes easier to stick to a few uh very simple rules and that's what uh, most of these diets do. They just introduce a few simple 
simplified and actually oversimplified uh, rules where you can't eat this and you can't, can't eat, eat that. that. Because mm. that, that's what usually what diets are about. They tell you what not to eat. To eat, yes. And yes. uh, they don't tell you what to eat. They tell you what not to eat because it's much easier. You just yeah. avoid avoid this and that. And when you do that, you automatically put foods into categories of good and bad. And that has to do a lot with how our brain works. Um, I, I always like this is an oversimplification as well, but our brain essentially has two parts to it. One is sort of the ancient uh, part that was all about survival. Um, it is a part that is super strong, is very uh, quick in making uh, decisions. And it does so by making things very black and white. Something yeah. is da dangerous or it's not. Something is good or it's bad. Mm. Um, and the other part of our brain is sort of the reflective part. That's the part that got us to the moon. Um, that's where we, we analyze things and we, we put things into context. And <clears throat> that part of the brain uh, we use quite a lot, but it's, it is very, very slow compared to, and, and also not as powerful as the sort of the ancient part of the brain. And I think in the world that we live in, we are bombarded with so much information on a daily basis, like yeah. even just scrolling through Instagram, for example, yes, like yeah. within like within a few seconds, you go through numerous messages and your brain is like half interpreting these messages and you scroll through Instagram and like within split seconds, you have to decide this is good information. This is bad information. This is what I want to read a little bit more. And it, so that, that part can only work with the sort of the instinctive ancient brain. That's, that's the only part that is fast enough to deal with that sort of information. And we can only deal with it if we think in black and white. And I think this has a lot to do with um, why, why we think the way we think, because simply the overload of information that, uh, that we get, and we don't have time to really reflect on things, put things into context. Um, and I think that has something to do with it, at least. Wow, I didn't, I didn't even think of looking at this from, from my brain's perspective, but you're so right. I mean, I, we could even take into, for example, with COVID, et cetera, et cetera at this moment and, and making decisions on what's right and wrong there. I think about how much information I'm being inundated with at the moment with, with this virus. And you're right. You, you scroll through social media every day and I'm being bombarded by this is what we should be doing. This is what we shouldn't be doing and trying to make decisions. And it's, it's virtually impossible and I've, I, I have found that's been the hardest thing for me during this time is to try and work out what's the correct information and what isn't. Um, yeah. And it's the same with, with, with nutrition and with, with what I think should be is good for me and what I think is bad. And then should I really be putting things in the good and bad um, categories? Um, is that even correct itself? Is there something that's always bad and something that's always good? Yeah, no, I, I, I think my answer would be very clearly no, it's not no. because it depends. It, it depends is the answer. That, that's actually the, uh, the answer that the scientist gives to everything. It depends. It depends. But, yeah. <laughs> but it, it is important um, because 
uh, it depends on what your goals are, what is good and bad. And I, I think in general also, uh, there are no good and bad foods. There are uh, good and bad sort of diets, how you put all those foods together. Right, right. But uh, whether a food is bad or good depends also on the quantities that uh, that we eat. And so, what about when it comes to, because obviously one of the, the, the big ones that I've seen um, a significant amount of particularly professional athletes is the low carb, high fat, which is completely against everything I was taught growing up. And of course, this is a long time ago um, where we were the other way. It was all about the carbs and just small amounts of fat and protein, um, particularly to get through the the endurance events. Um, Obviously, this has changed over the years as more research has been done. But what's your take on low carb, high fat? For and let's be specific for endurance athletes here. Let me start with asking you a question. So, would you do interval training every day? No. Well, actually, no. Back when I was racing, no, I I didn't. Um, these days, because I've got such limited time, yes, every session's just crazy. But that's because that's different because you know I've yeah. got a, I've got a set amount of time to do it. But no, as a as a professional triathlete, no, I wouldn't do interval training every day. So and, and I think <clears throat> there is a little bit of a parallel here with uh, with, with diets um, because would you have low carb every day? Um, I I don't think that is a good idea for no. uh, numerous of reasons. So I'll, I'll go into in a minute. Um, would I do low or high carb every day? Um, I probably wouldn't for no. also for for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is if you eat a high carb diet every day, then every day you're going to suppress your fat metabolism and you you will not allow it to develop as much as it as it really could. Right. On the other hand, if you are on a low carb diet, you let your fat metabolism develop really well, but now you're not developing your carbohydrate metabolism oh, and that's okay. you you what's what you really need especially when the intensity gets uh, gets a little bit higher so why would we just train one part of our metabolism one part of our system and why would we not train on certain days we would train with high carb have really high quality uh, sessions where we train our carbohydrate metabolism we also train by doing that, we train our gut, we train um, ourselves to tolerate carbohydrate intake during exercise. And this is what you see with people who avoid carbohydrate for whatever reason, whether it's uh, it's, it's because they think it, it makes them fat or fat, because yeah. they're on a, on a low-carb uh, diet. Uh, those are the athletes usually that... When it comes to race time, they think, oh, yeah, I do, I do need some gels. And then they can't tolerate them because no. their gut hasn't been trained and has, it's not used to it. Um, so I, I would never just stick to like one particular diet that is always low in one nutrient or always high in one uh, particular nutrient. Uh, I would mix it up depending on the goal of the day. So on yeah. some days, you may want to train your fat metabolism. Then be clever when you eat your carbohydrate and maybe reduce carbohydrate intake. On other days, uh, you may want a very high quality session or you may want to train 
uh, your gut, that is a day where you, you use very high carbohydrate intake. So it just makes it up. Right. So it, it, really, it's, and it goes, I remember, um, um, I'm sure you remember the pro triathlete, Laura Bennett, uh, who was predominantly an Olympic distance athlete, but did, mm-hmm. did do a few long course um, races towards the end of her career. And she said, the biggest mistake that an athlete makes is that they train to eat. They don't eat to train. And yep. it's something that I've, I've kept ever since she told me all those years ago, and it's probably about 15 years ago that she first told me that. And it makes so much sense because so many times I hear athletes say, oh, I've got a six-hour ride today and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it up so that when I get to the – we have a famous bakery here called the Kenilworth Bakery and they do the most amazing donuts. I'm going to save it up and I'm not going to eat a thing till I get to the Kenilworth Bakery and then I'm going to scoff down <laughs> – I'm going to scoff down two donuts. And I'm like, You've, you guys have got it all wrong. That is not the way that you should be – you should be fueling your body so that you can, t- you know, train. Um, but they are doing it the other way around and they're training their body, they're training so that they can get to the other end and eat. Um, yeah. And it's just the completely wrong way to do it. Yeah, it's, it, it depends. All, I, I think it, every training should start with, like, what is the, what is the purpose of yep. today? So that should be the, the first question. And then in order to achieve that, what is the best training that I can do? And what is what how can I structure my eating to support that? To that's, support it, yeah. Yep. That's, that's, that's the thought process that should go into every day of, uh, of training. Um, and in, like I work in professional cycling um, uh, as well. That's, that's where we have really dialed this in now uh, right. with the, the team that I work with. We use software to help the, uh, the riders make, make the right decisions and uh, not not only on what what to eat, but also exactly how much. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's becoming uh, definitely eating is becoming a science in uh, in some parts. And that's I mean, obviously when you talk about cyclists, where they have to back up day after day after day. I mean, to me, nutrition is absolutely crucial. And and as you said, not just uh, what to eat, the amount, but also when. I mean, when is the crucial, particularly when they get to the end of the day. And, and I know myself, when I've done a long day of, of training or, ra- or racing, you don't always make the wisest decisions because your brain isn't operating <laughs> correctly. So I, I know with the cycling teams, it's, it must be so fantastic for them to have someone like you who can actually make those decisions for them. Yeah, and the, the the initial response also with the cyclists is um, like, oh, I'm not sure because it goes against what I'm used to, or it uh-huh. goes against what my body tells me. Tells to, me, uh, yeah. To, yeah, yeah. And so initially, there was definitely sort of a little bit of a reluctance, and uh, but um, pretty quickly it became clear that if if they were eating just based on some of the measurements that uh, that we've done um they didn't have any bad days anymore wow. they, uh, yeah. uh, and and this is partly because i think eating to how you feel is is great to an extent uh, because mm. it works in many situations but in like especially in, if you talk tour de france or races like that um, then your feelings are really out of sync with your needs. Uh, yeah. Not in not in the first week, maybe, but in the second week when you start to get 
really really tired yeah um, and, yep. and certainly in the third week where you're really tired and your gi track doesn't work very well anymore <laughs> so oh. it's yeah so um yeah sometimes you just have to like the the or the riders at least have to trust the uh, the system and now like after a couple of years of experience with this they uh, they really believe in this system Oh, I can only imagine. I, I just think back to when I was on training camps in the mountains and the first week there, you know, my nutrition was you'd make great meals every night. You'd really spend a lot of time because you were fresh. And then the second week, things would start to slacken off. You'd start making some poor choices. By the third and fourth week of camp, um, you definitely, I know, I remember myself, I definitely was not making wise choices. And when you're training 30 plus hours, I just think it's so easy to fall off. I like to say fall off the wagon. I look yep. now where I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not training to race. I train because I love training and I love to be, I love the feeling of being healthy and fit. But because I'm probably only training around 15 hours a week now, um, I've never, I never get myself to that that stage of exhaustion, um, both physically and mentally. So I make wise decisions uh, about my nutrition. So I, I see, as I go, go back to, to observing athletes now, I see them make poor choices. And those poor choices are, you know, lots of chocolate, um, eating lollies or, you know, candy on rides, um, mm -hmm. drinking Coke like it's going out of fashion. And I just see, for me, I can look back and say, okay, these are all poor choices. But... Um, a lot of triathletes do not have, like these Tour de France riders, they don't have a support team around them to help them make these sensible decisions. Yeah, that's that's and that's the difficulty I think now mm. for for a lot of athletes is like um, there is also so much information out there. Yes, right? yeah, so yeah. so you don't immediately have the have the support. Um, but you have access to enormous amounts of information, most of which is is pretty bad information, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would say 20% of what's written on nutrition is, is, is sensible information. And how do you differentiate the good stuff from the bad stuff? And that's, uh, that's where a lot of people go wrong, because we make, going back to how the brain works, we make decisions on sort of like very quick decisions on how things look and how mm. things are presented, not necessarily on like we, we don't carefully evaluate the content. We look at, wow, this product looks amazing. And this, yes. uh, <laughs> and this, this, this article has such great illustrations. That's, <laughs> it's, it's gotta be uh, good. It's, it's gotta, gotta be good. Unfortunately, that's, <laughs> that's part of, yeah. How we assess the quality of information. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, it's crazy. And then you know, obviously, then adding in an exhausted body and an exhausted brain from training copious hours, um, yeah, you can see how poor decisions are easily made. Yeah, and and I should also say that sometimes, like these poor decisions, is is not we're not talking about, um, like eating junk food, for example, mm. but we're we're talking about people who are really really believe that eating like what they think is healthy foods and, and mm. or what people generally think are healthy foods, um, it may not be the right time to, uh, to, to eat them. Yeah, yeah. And, and is that a big, is that a really important, as far as you're concerned, when, when and what you actually eat throughout a training day? 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. It is. It is. It is very important to uh, well to to look at quantities that you eat, which yeah. depend very much on the goal of your training and also uh, how much training you do, of course. Um, but also that the like when you eat it is going to be uh, really important. Um, and the story there is a little bit different for carbohydrate than it is for protein, where with carbohydrate you want the intake probably around the training sessions in most cases. With protein, um, you want it almost independently of your training, but you want it consistently throughout the day. Okay. Um, and that's uh, th- those are things like with protein, for example, there's still the idea, oh, I need the protein in the hour after exercise. Um, yes, exactly. We- I was just about to bring that up. Is that still <clears> – <throat> I know when I used to do my big brick sessions – the most important thing was as soon as you got you finished that run that you made yourself that protein shake that had to be taken before you went for a shower before you did anything else you had to get that protein shake down that's that's right and i i think that's not really how protein no. works it is it is important to take protein uh, after exercise because it's a really effective time to uh, to take it but the effect of protein is not like the effect of carbohydrate you, the effect of carbohydrate is pretty instant, like it works within like minutes or hours. The effect of protein is a really long-term effect. So if someone takes protein for recovery, that doesn't mean that you're going to feel better like two, three, four hours later or even the day after. Um, protein is something, is, protein is really out those bricks that you built a castle okay. with. So you're not going to build that castle uh very very quickly in the hour after exercise right so you're gonna it's it's a long-term thing by making sure that you provide the right building blocks the right um, amino acids in your in your proteins uh, at very regular intervals so the the advice for protein for example is to to take about 20 25 grams of protein every three to four hours ah, that okay. that would be that's far more important than making sure that you have your protein shake uh, post exercise. Ah, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Wow. And but of course, sorry, go on. The, no, sorry, you go. Uh, Belinda. The, the the protein shake post exercise um, can of course be one of those moments. Yes, yes. And and that and that's how I would normally plan it. That that's one of the more important uh, moments. So make sure that you take your uh, shake. You get your twenty to twenty five grams immediately post-exercise, but also make sure that the other moments throughout the day, you do the same thing. of course. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't. I I think, uh, like you said, they think, okay, protein shake's done. That means I should be recovered by tomorrow and ready to go again. But that's, yeah, it's simply not the case. No, no. No. And what's your take? And I mean, I'm I'm asking you these questions now. I'm I'm being so selfish because these are things I've been dying to ask you for quite some time. Um, Where... Athletes are completely cutting out a particular um, nutrient. So, for example, a big thing over here at the moment is the carnivore diet. No, not, now, not necessarily just with triathletes. It's, we, we've had an article come up recently um, in one of our papers. There's quite a few elite athletes of uh, different sports that have taken on the carnivore diet. So they've basically cut out vegetables, um, fruit and vegetables, and they, it's, it's just meat. Um, what's your take on that? I, I mean, I, I've never tried it. I don't think I could do it. I love, I love fruit and vegetables too much to do it. But um, 
what would be the science behind that? And, and of course, the other way, we've got athletes that are just purely plant-based and they don't eat any protein or very little protein. Um, and it seems to be something that athletes are, are thinking there's going to be a miracle there if they go either way. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there are miracle no. uh, diets. And I think any time you're going to exclude a food or a food group from your diet, um, that that's actually quite risky. Yep. Um, so if you're cutting out meat, well, you better know what you're doing and replace uh, replace it with something else uh, because otherwise it could cause yep. problems. Or if you're cutting out uh, vegetables completely, um, well, to me, that, that would be very risky yep. as well. We um, Humans have evolved to eat whatever was available. Yep. I think they, they haven't evolved as sort of meat eaters or plant eaters. They they have evolved to eat whatever they could find. Um, so, uh, and, and that also means that we can probably get away with a lot because we're very adaptable. Right. Uh, so if, uh, if we are in a situation where we can only eat meat, that's fine for quite some time uh, or when we can only eat plants for some time, that's fine too. It's the deficiencies would develop over much longer periods of time. Uh, exactly. Uh, but before we get to the deficiencies, there may, um, we, we, we are not really looking for, uh, at, at nutrition to avoid deficiencies uh, in sport. We are looking to really optimize everything to support our training. And that's the, that, that's definitely been sort of a different thinking uh, in, in the last 20 years or so. Before that, nutrition was all about preventing deficiencies. The food labels on products, they st that's still all about preventing deficiencies. Mm. These are the amounts you need because if you don't get them, you deficient, become deficient. Yeah. But that's as, as athletes, that's not really what we're interested no. in. We're not interested in just the preventing a deficiency we we want to take nutrients in the amounts that is optimal yes. to support our okay. training yes and and that's that's really why uh, i think excluding foods is really uh, is is really not a not a great idea and so we talk very often about um the balanced diet but that that term although i think it's it actually describes it quite uh, quite well it's very difficult for people to interpret what that actually means everyone talks about a balanced diet but what what is yeah, a balanced yeah. diet um, and i think part of it is that you don't actually uh, exclude foods or food groups from what uh, what you eat and you eat things as you said in uh, in in right, moderation yeah. um and sometimes you need more of certain foods to support a certain type of training. And other days you need less of certain foods to, because you just don't need Exactly. It. And what about the athlete themselves? Um, obviously, you work with an array of different athletes, even within a team. For example, I know you were just away with one of the Tour de France teams. And within that team, you would have um, athletes in that team that differ um, some work better with a, with a higher protein, some work better with uh, higher carbs. Uh, you might have some that are, have a, a certain level of gluten intolerance. I, I'm not sure, but I just know, do you work, obviously you specifically work with that individual. It's not like a one size fits all. No, it's, it's definitely not a one size fits all. 
Um, but having having said that, I think it's important to realize that we all have a very similar yes. physiology, yes, yes. and our our, our DNA. Uh, is uh, for more than ninety nine percent the wow. same. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, so in that in that respect, there are no like it's not that you would put one uh, person on a low carb diet and another person high on a high carb yeah. diet, and and they they would both have the perfect no. diet. It doesn't work that way. Uh, but there are individual differences, and like clearly, some people can tolerate more food than others. Uh, also in races, for for example, uh, we we all know people that just take one or two gels and and they already get stomach yes, problems. Yes, yes. Uh, and and then and then others who who yeah just eat these enormous amounts of food and have no problem. <laughs> that, that was me. That um, was me. <laughs> uh, back in the day, you know, obviously I, I I trained with Chrissy Wellington for many years uh, under Brett Sutton, and even on some of our longer track sessions. You know, I would come down to the track with five or six gels to get through a 30K track session. Um, whereas Chrissy, if, if she had have eaten the same amount that I would uh, had eaten, she would be in the in the toilets for half that session yeah. because obviously she was a lot yeah, different. Yeah. Um, and neither of us had any, um, we were fine with carbohydrates. We didn't have any intolerances. We could eat everything and anything. But like you said, her stomach just could not cope with the greater amounts of um of calories going in, whereas whereas my body could, so it was quite interesting to see the difference there. And I know you've done you did quite a lot of work with with Chrissy back when she was racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and some of this. Um, so the question then is, what what you're describing here is this genetic, mm. or is this because of uh, just different food habits in general? And I think this one is much more related to sort of the, the food right. habits in, the, in general. So if people are sort of restricting their food intake and, uh, and thinking really carefully about what they're eating all the time, making sure they're not eating too much, then that has disadvantages when it comes to these yeah. things. Uh, and and you, can't, you can't tolerate the, the larger amounts of uh, gels, even though you probably would benefit from them if you could tolerate, tolerate them, them. Yeah, and you I mean you see it every mm-hmm. every year when I used to go over and watch the um, Ironman World Championships in Kona, you would see it every year. Those athletes that were just obviously fueling really well, the fuel was working the way it was supposed to work, and then the others that just could not tolerate anymore. You know, they'd have these big belly, big bellies sticking out where nothing was going in, yep. and I, I think because obviously because of the extreme conditions of Kona it was exacerbated and you could see it clearly the difference in, in an athlete that was just thriving from their nutrition nutrition plan on race day and those athletes that were struggling and it, yeah no I, absolutely and i think uh, this is also one of the big changes that i see happen now that are finally starting to happen that athletes are starting to incorporate what i call nutritional training mm. into their uh, everyday weekly training plan. yeah 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 so they, uh, and, and this is also what I would recommend. So if you have a race plan uh, where you say, I take X number of gels or that that is the plan, then make sure at least once a week that you practice that yeah. plan. Uh, and and don't just uh, wait till race day and then, uh, and then use all these products, but practice 
practice the plan, maybe even take more because race day is always a little bit more nervous, is always a little bit more intense. Yeah. So it's, it's harder to tolerate things on race day than it is on a training day. So we, we've also, in terms of recommendations in the last few years, we've actually gone to higher carbohydrate intakes. Um, and that makes it even more difficult if you're yeah. not used to it. So it's, it's so important to, uh, to practice this and practice it with the same products that you're going to use in, uh, uh, on, on race day. And now that brings me to my next question for you. You obviously, with core nutrition planning, uh, you have a platform now whereby an athlete can actually you go to this platform um, and it actually takes care of or it helps develop your race day fueling so it's and it's obviously not just for race day but it's something that you you develop 10 is it 10, 10 weeks out uh, and then into race day itself yeah that, that's correct so I think it doesn't need to be exactly mm. 10 weeks before but at least uh, that that number of weeks uh, you need to really get your your intestines your gut your stomach adjusted to the uh, to the race day intake really so the the reason we started to develop this platform um is that i i got so many questions from uh, from athletes always about uh, i didn't get my um uh, race nutrition oh, right yeah. and it's, it's actually uh like it's the number oh, one number reason one. by far. Every time, every yeah. time. I don't think I've ever been to a race where I haven't spoken to an athlete at the end who said, oh, I don't know what happened out there, but I just I just couldn't take my race nutrition. I just didn't feel like eating. And I'm like, it's never about yeah. feeling like eating. I, I never felt like eating either, but it was. I knew that if I didn't, that my race would suffer. So it's it's fascinating that yeah. you actually bring that up because I agree with you. It's It's the number one, I don't like to say excuse, but the number one thing that an athlete says when they don't have a race that goes to plan, I just, it, it, I got my nutrition wrong, always. Yeah, no, exactly. So, and I, I got a lot of questions from, uh, from athletes. And then every time I sat down with an athlete, I'm asking the same questions. And depending on the answers they uh, provided, I would then give them advice for the, for the right. next race. Um, and pretty, like, if you personalize the advice, it's, uh, it's pretty successful. But because the questions I was asking were always the same and then my responses, depending on their answers, was always the same. I thought, well, why don't we make this more scalable? Yeah. And why don't I turn this into sort of an application that people can use to guide themselves to a better nutrition mm. plan? And that's, that's how this um, core nutrition planning or fuelthecore.com is the, is the website. That's how it was born. Yeah. So the the whole idea with this um, uh, platform is that uh, you, you can go in, you, you can try this for free, by the way. Um, and in sort of five simple steps, we get you to a nutrition plan. It doesn't take long at all. Five minutes, you have a really good nutrition uh, plan. And um, the first step is really it ask a few questions about you to get you to get to know you as an right. athlete. Yeah. Like, of course, of course, nutrition advice for a pro is different than for sort of a first timer or for someone who does longer distance. It's different for shorter distance. Yeah. Uh, for, um, it also asks a little bit about um, 
like your physiology. Some people sweat more than others. We all know people who uh, who hardly ever seem yeah. to sweat, and then other people dripping. Who, <laughs> They're dripping. Uh, pro- yeah. <laughs> yes. Pro- produce a lake in yes, a matter of exactly. minutes. Yes, oh. And part of this is uh, genetic, part of this is depending on weather, part of this is depending on the exercise intensity. Um, and the software works this, uh, works this out. It sort of calculates sweat rate based on a number of inputs. One of the inputs, for example, is weather, which the application downloads for the race that you're going to do. Uh, so... The first part of the uh, the course is really about the athlete. The second part is about what is the event that you're going to do and how fast are you going to do it. Uh, and also a really important question that you get in there is like, what is your goal? Mm. Because the nutrition advice for someone who wants to run a personal best is very different for someone who just wants to make finish it to line. the finish yeah. line. Yeah, yeah. And and someone who had stomach problems in the last event, but now just wants to make it to the finish without stomach problems, would get different advice yeah. again. So those are um, like important questions to ask. And then the the next step uh, takes you to what are the fuels that you want to use? Are you going to use the fuels that are available on course uh, and those products? Do you have your own? sort of brand that you want to work with uh, that uh, that works really well for you. Uh, so that's uh, dialing the fuels is the next uh, next part. And then after those three steps, um, it already gives you a plan and it tells you exactly what to take when. And all of that is just simply based on science, uh, on, on all the things that we know. It's, it calculates your sweat rate, it uh, allows for a certain sweat loss at the uh, at at the finish, uh, not too little, not too much. Uh, it calculates your carbohydrate needs, which are also dependent on how much you can tolerate. Uh, so we get an idea of how much you can tolerate, and uh, all of that together gives you a plan. That uh, so far um, we haven't had anyone come back to us and say. This plan didn't, doesn't, didn't work, didn't for, work me. for me. Wow, wow. Yeah. And <clears throat> so all the software does is it's all the, it, it makes it evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's led by science, but it takes away all the extremes that people do. Like it takes away like taking far too many yes, gels yes. Or, far, or far too few. Or, or drinking, drinking too much. Too or too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or too, yeah. Yeah, so it's taken away the um, definitely the the extremes, and it it just personalizes it as well. By so if I ask uh, people questions about what what does your carbohydrate intake look like in your diet, but also in training, do you train with uh, with carbohydrates or not? Um, uh, that that's really uh, those are really important, important uh, questions to understand what the tolerance of the gut would mm. be. Um, so I think that's um, it, it's a tool now that's out there for people to uh, to try. Um, as I said, there's a free version that you you can just get uh, so, some idea, and 
there is a premium version where you where you pay for the uh, software where you can personalize things a little bit more and you can have the exact uh, distance of your training for example because i talk about it as as a race thing now but it's you can also use it for uh, for, training, for training which would be so um, so important i mean i think I think about all these, all the athletes I know, whether they be professional athletes or age group, they they invest so much time in the actual training, um, only to stuff it up on race day because they've yeah. missed out on the crucial, a crucial key of of nutrition. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, I, I think we also have to think much more about nutrition as like something that is 24-7, yes, as yes, we said yes, at the uh, exactly. beginning, and much, much less, oh, it's just about race day. I walk around at the expo, I buy yes, some oh, gels. The, the, then, honestly, <laughs> but you've hit the nail on the head there. The amount of times I've had friends that I'm just going to go and buy my race day nutrition. I said, oh, what are you getting? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'll have a look and see if there's something on sale or see what take. I'm like, so you're going to use something yeah. that you've never used before, but, you know, that's going to be okay for race day. It it. It blows my mind because these are normally people that have a coach. So spend money with having a coach and having a, a rigid training program that they've stuck to like glue for months on end. And then, as I just said before, they're going to blow it all to smith- smithereens by going and choosing a, uh, a product that they've never used before. And this, again, I go back to Ironman World Championships and this is where they seem to get suckered in because they walk through that expo and they're bamboozled with so many amazing products um, and then they see, you know, certain pro athletes taking this product and it works for them. So surely it's going to work for me too. And it just, and again, I only can see it now that I'm a little older and wiser. And it just, it blows my mind that th- this continues to be something that happens year in and year out. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the three main yep. mistakes I yep. think that people make. So the, the is, is like the day before sort of change your, uh, or buy new new, new products, products and try right. something <laughs> <Choose>. new. And <clears throat> so that's one mistake. The second mistake is that people just go into the race without really having a At plan all. and say, oh, I'll, I'll see how I'll, I feel. I'll eat when and, I feel uh, like it. That's right. <laughs> Which is yeah, never. Yeah. And then, oh. and the third, third mistake is that people actually have a plan. They have thought about it very carefully and then they stick to it on race day uh, at all cost. Um, and that's, I, I think you also have to, at some, at some point you've got to be sensible, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So you may, you may have a plan and for most athletes, even professional athletes at some point, uh, the plan goes out Absolutely. of the window and I agree. And ho- hopefully this happens, uh, just a few kilometers from the finish, uh, and not halfway through yeah, the race, yeah. but, um, at at some point, you need to be sensible and say, okay, it's probably good to maybe skip a gel now and uh, and and just have slightly lower overall carbohydrate intake, um, and and not just for keep forcing it down if if you know that you're actually not going to be able to tolerate no, it. No, that's right. And with this platform, obviously, you've done the research, you've done the studies. It's it's science based. But can I ask you, and, and, and a friend of mine bought this when I told her that I was going to be talking to you. Um, she also um, studies nutrition and she loves it and she was very excited. But a lot of the studies that have been done um, are predominantly have been done with males, um, particularly when you come to low-carb, high-fat. Um, 
But how does it differ for women? Because obviously males versus females, and we haven't spoken about that yet, but, you know, obviously there are genetic differences between males and females. So does the race day fueling um, or fuel the court, does it, is it based on, do you have differences within the program on the platform um, to help with that? Yeah, so if, of course, if there were reasons to build in these differences, we would have built in the differences. Okay, yep. Um, but but the science isn't actually there to uh, to say that that's necessary. Okay. So um, I, I agree with you that the vast majority of studies is all on male uh, on on male subjects, and we really need more studies in uh, in in females. But we did actually do some studies that are really relevant to race day uh, fueling where we compared males and, uh, and and females and we did that on numerous occasions um, and we tried to match males and females as uh, as well as we could and the conclusions were that really there was no reason to change the recommendations ah, in terms of carbohydrate okay. intake wow yeah so um like what for for example if you take a drink that is like all glucose yes. and you give you give that to uh, male and female athletes it's it seems that the maximum amount that you can use from that drink is about 60 grams per hour and that's the same in males and females there's really no difference uh, so if you um, you would then say, well, but generally, sort of female athletes are lighter. Shouldn't be, shouldn't this be expressed per kilogram uh, body weight? And the answer is uh, no, because when we looked at the relationship between body weight and how much carbohydrate you can use, there really is no correlation whatsoever. Oh, wow. Um, and maybe maybe that's a little bit counterintuitive, yeah. but that's that that that's a fact. Um, so because we couldn't find any reasons to uh, to change the recommendations for uh, for women uh, that's why the platform doesn't doesn't even ask the question whether you're male or female a man or a okay woman. wow yeah. and what about if we're looking at athletes and i'm going to bring some specific names into the equation for example if we we pick three athletes sebastian kinlay lionel sanders and jan fredino um, you've got Sebastian Kinlay and Lionel Sanders, who are your your thicker. I mean, all athletes uh, would have very low um, um, percentage fat, obviously. But you've got someone like Jan Fratino, who's tall and very, very um, thin. Uh, he's I, I don't even know what his body fat percentage would be, but it would be probably something ridiculous. And then you've got you've got a musclier, so a much bigger muscle mass athlete. When you look at someone like Lionel Sanders and Sebi Kinley, would their nutrition plan obviously differ greatly because of their physique, or again, not necessarily? Yeah, not necessarily, yeah. Um, because most of what it, it would depend on their power okay. outputs. So, uh, if if we compare the bikes, uh, for for example, then. Uh, the power output on the bike probably isn't hugely mm. different, uh, and and therefore the nutritional requirements are probably not going to be different. that uh, different. Even though their physiques like, look, look different, look yeah. quite yeah. different. Yeah. Um, what what matters is in this case is 
uh, is the function of the GI tract. Okay. How much car- carbohydrate can the GI tract uh, supply? And that doesn't really seem to be different between uh, individuals. Mm. Uh, so we, uh, I, I mentioned this 60 grams uh, per hour that you can um, take up from glucose. And that really seems to be very different. The in, really independent of body shape, body size, uh, man, women. Um, it, it seems to be like fairly set, set in stone. Maybe like there are small individual differences, but they, they're really negligible right. in terms of uh, giving, giving advice. Wow. And then, and then the interesting thing is like we... Like we studied why, why is it 60 grams per hour? Because I can ingest much more than that. Um, and it turned out that the limitation is the, uh, the uptake in the intestine. So this is why we developed this carbohydrate mixture uh, that uses different transporters in the intestine and actually allows much greater uptake. Ah. Um, and we've, we've seen uptakes... Um, well, far over 90, 90 wow. grams per hour. Wow. But we, we generally recommend that 90 grams per hour is what, what athletes should aim for in very long-distance events. Oh. Um, now, if you, if you do that with uh, those same people, they all increase their carbohydrate uptake by about the same percentage. So it's, uh, the physiology in some ways is very similar between uh, between people wow i you wouldn't even think it i mean and i look at i look at uh, female athletes as well when you've got someone like danny reef compared to someone like lucy charles um who's a lot smaller uh and then danny reef who's who's a larger athlete again more muscular athlete and but you're saying that that the new obviously there would be those finer differences but that the nutritional differences shouldn't be that different yeah, correct. I would I would give them fairly similar advice, yep. but the advice would be more dependent on sort of what is their habitual like regular, regular yep. carbohydrate okay, intake. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what about when it comes to because obviously again we talk about the hotter races, and the reason we I talk about the hotter races is because that seems to be when issues with nutrition are exacerbated, um, cramping, um, people not being able to in, in, ingest calories because they just bring them back up. Um, but cramping is obviously a huge thing, and, and I do a lot of I, I cover a lot of races in the Asia Pacific region where it is often excruciatingly hot and humid, um, and I see a lot of cramping, and it, it brings me to one athlete in particular, and he's he's a tiny athlete, Tim Reed, and I've had a lot of discussions with Tim, and he's done a lot of testing where he does like we talked you we, we were talking before about losing a lot of salt, so apparently his salt loss is almost double what um another of his of his of of a fellow athlete might be um so he really struggles um with cramping when it comes to hotter races and he's had to obviously change his nutrition plan to try and cope with that um so is that something that this platform takes into consideration too with salt loss yeah at the moment uh, at the moment no be also because the research just isn't isn't strong enough, strong enough. so I, I don't think it is the right conclusion to say, ah, um, someone is cramping, so it must be Le- electrolytes, electrolytes or lack or, of salt or magnesium. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, we we often jump to those mm. conclusions, but there's actually very little evidence in the literature that it, that it is related ah. to that. Uh, this doesn't mean that it cannot be related to it, but I don't think we can generalize that. Oh, it must be it must be electrolytes. It's. Uh, um, I think we understand still very little about what causes cramp, yeah. um, and and even less about how can we prevent it because otherwise everyone would be using it and no one would be having no, that's cramps right. anymore. And I and I, I I'd love to hear your your take on obviously people have said in the past that it's always the bigger athletes. So, the, you know, Lionel Sanders suffering cramps in Kona, it's because he's a big athlete. But that's not necessarily the truth because I know um, talking to many athletes who are, are bigger, musclier athletes and they've never s- suffered a cramp in their life. So, and then you've got someone like Tim Rood who's lucky to be 60 kilos ringing wet and here he is suffering cramps a lot. So it's not a certain physique that's going to suffer cramps more than, than another necessarily. Not necessarily, no, no, no. I think um, larger athletes in general will struggle with the heat a little bit more than smaller okay. athletes. That 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 is that is true, and maybe for that reason, like cramping will will also happen a little bit earlier. But that doesn't mean it cannot happen in the smaller in athletes. Smaller yeah, athletes. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, honestly, it's it's funny because I just I kick myself because I I know when I was young racing and and. Like you said, I, I spent all this time and energy on and getting a good coach and training and sticking to that program like glue. And nutrition just seemed to be something that you just, well, you're just worried about it maybe a week leading into the race and then on race day itself. And I think now with all the information that, that's out there, it would be, um, I wish I could do it all again, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's. I think it's. It'll just continue to uh, continue to improve. And I think the the main thing that stands in the way for people is the amount of misinformation yeah, yeah. that also also grows or grows even more than uh, than the good yeah. information. So I wish we we had better ways to help people to decide what is good and what is bad information. No, I, look, I I, I totally agree. Um, and again, I, I I just see the difference in some of the athletes here, but um. A little bit because I have I had a couple of athletes that asked, and these are professional athletes, you know, that that do enjoy to have do enjoy having a glass or two of of red wine, um, not every night, but you know, every now and again. Is is that a bad thing? And maybe I'm asking this for myself. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I I believe very much in moderation. I don't believe in uh, in in bad foods, good yeah. foods. Um, so I think yes, there there definitely is a there there is room for a for a glass now and then. Um, it's just in in moderation and like thinking about the castle that we, uh, we started that we started with. Yep. with um, <clears throat> I don't think the the glass of red wine is really gonna like add much to the uh, to the castle. But the question is, occasionally a glass is that gonna break, break down, down the castle? castle yeah, yeah. So it's all about it probably all isn't. about when and and when and where. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and Asuka, obviously, the, uh, Fuel the Core, so Core Nutrition Planning is, is one of the major sponsors for Challenge Family. Can you just let me know, how did that how did that relationship come about to begin with? I mean, obviously, I know Power Bar is also a, a, one of our biggest sponsors as well for Challenge Family um, and then Core Nutrition Planning. So how did that... How did that come about, and and why did you 
decide that that would be a, a, a good relationship? Yeah, it was, it was mostly through my relationship with uh, with, with yeah. CB from uh, Challenge. And uh, so we... Um, uh, I, I thought that this this platform could actually be something that sort of adds mm. value to uh, to to athletes, and then if we build in all of the challenge races into the software, and you can easily find your challenge race, that also means that immediately we know the software knows what is available on yes. course in terms yes. of uh, products. It, it also knows where the feed stations are. Um, wow. The software also knows what the weather conditions are on the, uh, on the day. So you can really start to do some, some great planning with this, uh, with this wow. tool. And uh, so it was really from the, um, from the point of just, yeah, just adding a little some, something that Challenge can offer yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to athletes uh, that participate in their, in their races. And that's, that's how this was well, born. I, you know what? I've worked for Challenge Founder for many years and I did not know that's how precise it was. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah, we we have to improve how we <laughs> how we talk yeah, about absolutely. this because I think it it can actually help um, a lot of a lot of people for sure. So, for example, let's take our biggest race, uh, Challenge Roth, um, in July, obviously in the middle of summer in Germany. Uh, of course, it's Europe, so you can get you can get a mixed bag. I mean, I've I've been to that race I think fifteen times, and it's <laughs> you know we've had days where it's been forty degrees and people have been melting. Uh, but then we've had the odd occasion when it's when it's 12 degrees and people have been freezing. Um, but obviously with your platform, it will know that it's it's a race that's in the middle of summer in Europe. So these are the, the conditions that you could have. And it builds a program based around the actual course plus the, plus the weather conditions and can actually tell you exactly yep. where you will be able to get fuel from. So the aid stations on course. Yeah, exactly, and then it 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 will it will also tell you, like the the total plan. It, it'll tell you you need this many gels, this many drinks from the eight stations, and this is what you need to bring yourself. Oh. So it it spells that out it's as no, well. It's a no so. brainer. Why didn't you have this when I was back racing? Oh my god, <laughs> taken all the guesswork out of it. It's incredible. Oh. Yes, yeah, I think people should just try it and uh, and and see. Um, well, first of all, see how the plan that yes. Core uh, yes. produces, how it compares to what they would normally do. And um, like a lot of people would get aha moments. It's like, uh, and, and they would probably see, ah, maybe I just took way too much yep. or maybe I took way, way too little. And, yeah. And can you just repeat for, for our listeners, if they wanted to do that week-free trial, um, what's, the, what's the website? Yeah, it's not. It's um, uh, the the website is www.fueldecore.com. Perfect, perfect. Uh, and it's it's more than a it's a it is more than a week free oh. trial. It's just it is just free um, if you don't have all of the okay. sort of okay. ways to to personalize. So so there is just a version. So if you just want to try it, there is a version to try. And then of course, if you if you like it, then you can obviously go into the more premium. Where more questions are asked, so you can get a more specific. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Oh, I could have you on here all night asking you questions. I have so many of my own questions to ask about nutrition. It's just, it's it's one of those topics that's ever evolving. I mean, you must have seen so many changes over the years from when you very first started 
looking like looking into nutrition to where we are right now yeah absolutely when i started um working in professional cycling uh for, for example it was still the thought that the bigger the ride or the bigger the stage uh the bigger the steak there had to be at uh, breakfast oh, no way. <laughs> and things yes and things have uh, just moved on um quite a lot since so that that's time. not necessarily yes. the case so if you've got if you've got a a stage where you know that the uh, the rider is going to be out there for seven hours that doesn't mean bigger fueling necessarily in the morning no it does generally mean bigger bigger fueling just not in the form Sta- of the okay. state yeah, yeah, of and, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah oh that's incredible okay um well I think we're going to have to get you on again because I know that after this podcast, I'm going to have loads of questions. So for all of you athletes out there that have listened, that are going to listen to this podcast or are listening, um, if you have any specific nutrition questions to ask Aska, please let me know um, by just returning the questions to our either Instagram or um, to Twitter for Challenge Family because I would love an excuse to get Aska back online again. Um, to hit him up on all the specific questions that you guys may have. And I know you've got plenty. Um, I could actually get him online just to ask my questions alone, but I won't be so selfish. So I'll, I'll wait till I get a few from um, all the other athletes out there. But Aska, thank you so much. Um, I don't know if I, yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm going to feel guilty, too guilty to go downstairs and have my glass of wine tonight or not. But you know, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if I've earned it. Phil. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you should. I should. You should. But uh, it was an absolute pleasure, uh, Belinda, and happy, very happy to uh, to be oh, with us again. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're just starting the day, whereas um, my day is coming to an end over here in Australia. So I hope you have a wonderful day. And um, thanks again, Aski. You've been wonderful. Thank you. Speak to you for soon. Sure. Thanks for listening to Coffee Calls with Belinda. I really hope you enjoyed listening. If you'd like to continue listening and stay updated on our latest podcasts, then please subscribe. It would also be great if you could rate our podcast and leave us a review. If you have any specific questions you'd like me to ask the athletes, then please send through to the following email address, podcast at challenge family.com. The making of these podcasts would not be possible without the wonderful help of our great partners, Powerbar, Otso, Zone 3, Lubos Billick at LB Training, Sport No Limit Group and VeloSoc. But for now, thanks so much for listening and I'll be back soon for another coffee.